All right, so way back, long, long, long time ago when I was in my early 20s, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> uh, I needed to figure out a way to get some money together to pay for college. And at the time, I had really all the way through high school, I had not been seeking the Lord. I was not in fellowship with the Lord. If you'd asked me, I would say I was, an, as, uh, I was uh, at best a... I want to say antagonist. That's kind of the, the feeling of it is an antagonist. But at best, I was a, an agnostic. Um, and I might even say I, I just didn't believe God exists. So that's how I kind of spent that period of my life. But when I was just in my early 20s, I really kind of hit the wall and, and met somebody, as Robert mentioned, that invited me to church, invited me to a Bible study. And I went to this Bible study thinking, OK, I'm going to I'm just going to destroy these people's faith because they're just, you know, backwards, they're uneducated, they really don't know what they're, they haven't really thought this through yet, and I'll explain to them why God doesn't exist. And probably two or three months into it, I was confessing my faith to the Lord and completely repenting. And, and you know what? I, the argument never happened. The big, high-level, quote-unquote, pseudo-intellectual argument never happened. They just loved me. They just cared for me. They just comforted me. And they just so demonstrated the love of God to me in a way that was like the closest family I had ever experienced. It was, it was a closer, truth-telling, loving, committed sort of group of people that, than I had ever experienced, closer than my family ever had been. And it was such a blessing. But now I got, I got to find a way to pay my way through college. So I decided, well, I'm just going to go drive for my dad's trucking company and get on the truck and drive for about a year, nine months or a year on this truck and drive cross country on the open road. Well, let me tell you, driving cross country on the open road is like the worst kind of exile, especially if you're 21, 22, and you've just found the Lord in this amazing fellowship with this amazing group of people, and now all of a sudden, I am on the truck for, for nine months, just driving back and forth between the route, this route I was driving was from Boston to San Jose and back to Boston again, back and forth. One week east, one week west. Team driving. So we never stopped. The truck was running all the time. So it was this constant drive, go sleep, drive, go sleep. Get out of the truck, fuel it up, get something to eat, drive some more for like nine months. And so it's like, that is my experience of the worst kind of exile. It's just horrible. But you know, this. Bible study was so awesome, and, and I think they, they had the wisdom to anticipate and understood that I was about to, as this young believer, about to go into this extreme exile. You know what they did for me? They sat down, every one of them, and each of them wrote like 20 cards, literally had 20 like, you know, encouragement cards and wrote some special little note to me. So when I, my first trip out, the, when I first got on the truck, I had like this duffel bag full of cards, and they, they made me promise only read one per day. So I had all these cards that like lasted me. I think they would have lasted me probably three or four months, but it's like opening a box of chocolates. You know, you open one, it's like, well, I wonder what the other, the next one's going to say, you know? So it's like, it was so amazing, and it was such a comfort to me. And this is exactly what God is saying to his people, right? Because if you recall, uh, a few few weeks ago, almost a month ago, I guess now, even more than a month, uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 39, Israel, Judah, has received the worst possible news. 
the worst possible news is Isaiah tells them, look, you're all going into exile. You're all going to be captured and taken away to Babylon. And you're going to be isolated from your promised land. And that, I think, particularly as we as Gentiles don't really understand the full impact of that. I mean, you could kind of get there by imagining that China invaded the West Coast, captured the entire West Coast, and shipped us all off to Beijing, okay? And we would leave everything that we're familiar with, everything that we've known, and have to learn a new culture, a new language, and serve the government of Beijing, all right? That, that's kind of a little taste of it, but for the Hebrews, it's even deeper than that, because think about this. Where, where is the temple that the Hebrews worshiped in? It's in Jerusalem. And there's only one place where, where they could offer their sacrifices in the temple, in Jerusalem. The temple is where God is. So this idea that they're going to be taken away captive to Babylon is just devastating to the people of Israel. It is the ultimate exile. It's just, it's just absolutely devastating. So now as we go into this chapter 40, this is a huge pivot point in the whole book of Isaiah. This, starting at this point, this, this, this part of Isaiah was written pretty well after this first 39 chapters. Isaiah is much older now, and also the whole tone of the book really shifts to, from a tone of, look, Assyria is invading, we're all focused on our idolatry, we need to repent, and we need to repent now, and we're facing judgment and the wrath of God. You know, that's, that's chapters 1 through 39 in, in a really overly summarized way, right? But the whole tone, now that God says, look, you know what? You're going into exile, but the tone that, that God is speaking through Isaiah becomes much softer and much more comforting and much more encouraging. Yes, you're, you've, you've entered into idolatry. Yes, you've rebelled and sinned against me. Yes, you're going to be disciplined and you're going to be exiled to Babylon, but I am going to comfort you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you into this exile. You haven't lost me yet. Okay, so that's the comfort, the heavenly comfort in the midst of a worldly exile. And we ourselves are technically in exile. We are actually in all kinds of ways in exile. Really, if you think about it, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, the human race has been in exile since the fall. Since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, we have been in exile. Peter says of the church, Christian believers, the early first believers in his first letter, Peter says that we are sojourners and exiles in this world, right? This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. Our home is in the the new creation, the final state, that's our home. Our home is with, in the full presence of God. We have a taste of him now, but we are continuing to be in the exile of this world. We live in exile. Now, in the U.S., it's probably the most safest, comfortable exile that the Christian church has experienced in its, in its you know, 2,000 years of existence, and really the people of God from day one, from Adam to, to this day, you know, we live in extreme comfort, but that doesn't mean that we're not still really stressed out, right? Neurotic, a little bit crazy. We have things that are falling apart. We have health issues. We have financial issues. We have job issues, right? This world is broken. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, we live in a world that's inhabited by a criminal class of angels, 
right? And not only criminal class of angels, but Satan himself is our enemy, right? He, the God of this world, the God of the air is our enemy. We are exiles. We are strangers in a strange land. Amen? So in Isaiah 40, he, God is comforting the people of, of Judah, the people of Israel, but it also has tons of comfort for us, and, and specifically how he comforts them is incredibly relevant to us. So let's go. Let's read. Isaiah chapter 40 starts off, Comfort, comfort my people, says your, your God, right out of the gate, right? And anytime God repeats himself in Scripture, he's really tr- calling attention to this. He's really emphasizing and saying, look, I'm going to comfort you in the midst of your exile. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So how is God comforting them and even in the midst of exile? How does God comfort us in the midst of living in this fallen, broken world? Number one, he, he will give us, he speaks tenderly to us and that he, he, he gives us peace and rest from warfare and a promise that ultimately all wars will end. And the warfare that we continue to be engaged in with Satan and with the enemies of this world will ultimately end. He also comforts us with his pardon. He gives us pardon. And that, he, and that, he, and that, that we receive the Lord's, that, we re, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. Meaning God gives us an abundant of, of salvation, abundance of forgiveness, an abundance of pardon. That is much comfort. How is this pardon actualized? How, the, how does this work out? Um, I actually need a little help this morning. Okay, y'all ready? Need a little help. So uh, if you look at your bulletin, you see the title of the message underneath it. There's a quote from Romans 31, and it says, and you're going to help me. I'm, throughout the rest of this message, I'm going to read the first question And you all are going to answer by reading the second question. So I'm going to say, what then shall we say to these things? And you're going to say, right on. You guys are so good. That's awesome. All right, so what shall we say to these things? Even better. I like it. All right. Verse 3, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How will God comfort us? How will we cease from all of our wars? How will God ultimately pardon us? He's, he will make the, the rough places smooth. He'll make make the he'll raise up the valleys and he'll lower the mountains in, in the wilderness. The the gospels say that this passage is fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist, right? And it's interesting because in in Luke's recording of it, I'm going to uh, read the version that that's in Luke. It says uh, Luke chapter three verse four says, "As it is written, the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness." Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight 
and the rough places shall become level ways. Now catch this. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Right? So in Isaiah, it's the glory of God. And then John fills that out and gives us a clear definition of what, what is the glory, the power of God. It's the salvation of the Lord. Right? It's Christ coming into this world and, and being the propitiation of our sin, being the sacrificial land, and, and ransoming us from our sin. So our comfort is ultimately found in Christ and in the salvation that we have in him. Amen? So what shall we say regarding these things? Thank you, Aaron. Glad you get, an a, you get a gold star, Aaron. Good job. Yeah, so our comfort is in Christ. Our comfort is in the fact that from from before the foundations of the world, God has promised to provide for us a Messiah, a king, a conquering king who comes humbly to save us and to be our salvation. Amen? Verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So you know what? One really encouraging thing about exile is that it's short. Exile is short. It's temporary. It's tenuous. It's fragile, right? It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But God, the word of God is forever. It's fraternal. The promises that God has made to us, the covenant relationship that he has bound us to, is forever. It's eternal. It can never be shaken. Even in the midst of our exile, the connection, the promise, the covenant, the family relationship that we have with the Lord cannot be broken. It's solid. But our exile, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow, right? So when we get beat up this year, when life gets difficult this year, when it turns out we owe three times, ten times more taxes than we thought we were going to owe, when people are just hard and mean and cruel and indifferent, right? When our health falls apart, we get bad news from the doctor. Whatever, whatever we face this year, whatever aspect of this exile that we walk through this year, you have to remember it's temporary. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, but God is eternal and his promises to us are eternal. This, the salvation that we have in him is eternal. So what shall we say regarding these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? All right. Verse 9. And, and, and this next segment, it's interesting because it's going to talk about just how awesome God is and how small and weak exile is. And it does it in a way that sort of repeats the same thing a couple times. It sort of leapfrogs over itself. I'm going to kind of go through this. I'm not going to go verse by verse and, and come on in every verse. But as I'm going through this, think about how, what stresses you out? Think about what is challenging in your life right now. And think about how does that relate to your image of God, how you view God, how you see God relative to whatever the challenges are that you've, you've experienced in your life or that you expect that you may experience this year. All right? So verse 9. Go on up high to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, 
It's interesting, Robert was just sharing how part of our mission is to declare the gospel, right? And this is a call to God's people to say, hey, in, even in the midst of exile, even when you're under discipline, guess what? Your job is to declare, to be a herald of the glory of God, right? And in fact, that's a really great way to find comfort and empowerment even in the midst of exile is to connect with, engage with God and talk about and declare and be a herald of just how awesome he is. You want to grow your perception and your understanding and, your, and the depth of knowledge that you have with God? Talk about him. Try to explain him to someone who doesn't get it. And that will really help you, right? Plus, it's the, it's the mission that God has called us to. It's the mission that he gave Isaiah, and it's the same mission that Jesus has personally given to us. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for, for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his re recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Is this not like a perfect description of Christ and the ministry of Christ in his first advent? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, right? God is super powerful. He has all power. For he's created all the heavens and the earth, and yet he's kind, and he's gentle, and he's tender, and he's like a good shepherd who tends us, who takes care of what we need, who guides us, who draws us close into him and binds us close, closely to him, right? That is the, the Lord, the God that we serve, Jesus, the good shepherd. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who, did he, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Answer, Nobody, right? God is the author of all those things. We can't teach God anything, right? We have nothing up on God. And then God is so far beyond and so much bigger than what we really even understand. We think wherever we are in our Christian walk, we think we have a picture of who God is. But I'm here to tell you that our picture is still really small. It's still really anemic. We still don't fully grasp the height and depth and width of just the power and the majesty and the love of Christ, right? Who can surpass God? Who can, who can define ultimately who God is? Only God himself can. Verse 16, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. This exile is nothing. All the drama in the Middle East, all the terror, all the things that are going horribly bad in this world, they're bad, they're horrible, they're awful, and they're temporary, right? And I think all you have to do is watch the news for you know, one newscast and you're just completely depressed, or at least I am, right? Because it's like the world is going to hell in a handbasket, routinely, you know, on a 24-hour news cycle. But you know what, this is all just temporary. And it has no staying power. It has no strength. It has no ultimate power. But God, God does. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? 
Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for its silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that, we, that will not move. What, the, what, what God is saying here is, look, our view of God is just way too diminished. It's just way too small. You know, when we try to even when we try to create an image of who God is, it's, it's an idol. It just it doesn't represent the full nature of who God is. If, if you, if you want to see God, if you want to understand God, the best place to look is Jesus himself. Jesus is the fullness of God. Okay? But I think the, the application, the, the point I, I want to make here is whatever... Wherever we think we are in our walk, we're only just started, okay? I mean, Paul himself, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. But what did Paul say about his understanding of God? He said, look, we understand, we look, we see God as through a darkened mirror. You know, we see him in part. But at the resurrection, when we come into heaven, then we, we, we will see him clearly and fully. We will be like him because we'll see him as he is, right? So don't. It's easy, I think, sometimes we start to think, well, yeah, I get it. You know, I know Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he saved me, and I, I, I get all that. I got it. I'm good. You know, now let's deal with what's in front of us. No, no. We, we have yet to scratch the surface in terms of what, how we understand who God is and, and, and the depth of his love and the depth of his power. And there's, we, we won't graduate until, until, we pass, until we're done with this exile. So the encouragement is, let press in, seek the Lord. There's so much more for us to learn about the Lord. There's so much more. And otherwise, there's the risk that you will believe things that are actually idolatry. You'll believe things about God that just aren't true or are way too small. They're little idols, and they're not the fullness of who Christ is. Amen. So what shall we say of these things? I don't know. 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Again, God is awesome, powerful, Systems, people, rulers on the other earth, very small. But what do we tend to do, especially when we're stressed, right? Especially when we're under the gun, especially when our exile is particularly painful. We tend to make the circumstances of this world really big, and suddenly God seems very, very small, right? And what Isaiah is saying is, look, whatever you face this year in this life, it's nothing compared to the glory, majesty, power, love, care, that God has for each one of us. Amen. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So God is using a, a, an illustration to say, look, try to get your head around this. And by the way, when I was driving the truck, we would go through Wyoming, cross 80 through Wyoming. 
And I remember one time switching with the, the other driver and we were right on, still on the highway, we just pulled off on the shoulder of the road and it was right at the Continental Divide, so a pretty high altitude, out in the middle of Wyoming, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of miles, not thousands, hundreds of miles away from any light, any artificial light source. Absolutely dark, perfect, clear night. I, I just jumped out of the truck, I was just in my own little world, my own little painful exile. <laughs> jumped out of the truck, landed on, on the side of the road, kind of stretched and looked up and it was like, oh my gosh, I have never seen a sky like that. It was just literally solid stars. I mean, the Milky Way was just a solid white band and then just billions of stars all over the place. And it just, and I don't know if you've ever seen a night sky like that, but it is just incredible. And what God's saying is, look, I created all that. I know those gazillion uncountable stars, I know every single one of them and I place them there. I know exactly the mass of each one of those stars. I know exactly the temperature. And, and, and I'm actually actively, in real time, making all that happen. You know, we have to, one of the things we have to get out of our head about some of the a common misperception about God is that God created the world, wound it up, set it on the table, and then just let go. And now the world is just spinning itself out on, its, on, on the momentum that God initiated on the first day of creation. But that's not what scripture teaches. What scripture teaches is the very atoms of this pulpit right here, by the way, this is just energy. Physicists will tell you this is just nothing but energy that's arranged in a per very particular way and, ha and according to a certain database, okay? That's what this is right here. And God is actively sustaining this pulpit right now, this very moment, through his will and power, okay? All of creation is being actively sustained by God in the moment. Paul said, in him we move and have our being, okay? That is the God that has com is comforting us and has com infinite amount of comfort for us in, in, in the coming year and all the way through the life of our, of our exile. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Haven't we all felt like that? Aren't there times when the exile gets so painful or lonely or long, feels so long sometimes, even though scripture says it's short, and it is in reality short, it feels long. The things that we go through, the trials that we go through, I'm so, I'm so blessed by my wife. I mean, of, any, of all the people I've known, I, I, she has gone through one trial after another, and now she's in a trial that's gonna, rest, it's gonna be the rest of her life. Every, every meal is this big exercise to figure out how much insulin she should take. And if she doesn't take enough, in the long term, she'll have all kinds of, of side effects, all kinds of health issues as a result of that. If she takes too much, she'll crash and go into a coma. That's every single meal, every day, okay? That's a trial, that's exile. But you know what? I also have seen how God comforts her, how she seeks God, how she binds herself to the Lord. And he continuously, and in really interesting and sometimes funny ways, brings comfort and encouragement. That's the Lord that we share. Why do you say, O Jacob, speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? I'm here to say it's not. God sees you. God knows you. Even though 
It may seem like you're in Babylon and Jerusalem is a long ways away and God is very distant. That, that's a feeling, that's a perception, but that's not reality. Reality is God is with you right this moment. He is with you in the very worst parts of your life. He is with you. 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will, sh they will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, at our very best, at whatever point in our life that we were the most healthy, the strongest, the most clear-minded, the most grounded, the most just had it going on, the most in the groove in our life, God is saying, you know what? That moment is nothing compared to how you are when you wait upon me. It's interesting, Donna and I were talking about this morning and she shared with me the, the uh, word study on, on wait, um, this word, Hebrew word that she used. And, and, and the root of the word has the idea of binding. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the idea of if you bind something together, you make it stronger. Like if you twist three twines together, it makes it stronger, binding. If you bind yourself to the Lord, if you wait in a way that is about grabbing hold of the Lord and binding yourself to the Lord, the Lord empowers you and strengthens you in a way that's far beyond anything you could ever be on, on the best day of your life, right? The scripture, the, the, the author right here is saying, even you shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. Even the most highly trained, incredible athlete in the world has a limit, right? They can only do the triathlon at at, and I'm not a triathlete, obviously, <laughs> so I don't know what the, like the, a good time is to complete a triathlete course, but, but, no, but everybody has their limit, right? The most highly disciplined, trained athlete has their limit. But what God's saying is, look, you bind yourself to me, you wait on me, you ground yourself in me, and I will empower you to do things that are way beyond anything you could ever think of or imagine. You will soar like an eagle. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint if we bind ourselves. So how do we bind ourselves to the Lord? What are some practical ways to bind yourself to the Lord? Robert gave us a perfect list in his announcement, right? We bind ourselves to the Lord by, by seeking him, by studying his word. You know, does, do, do you take time during your week, maybe once a day even, maybe even lunchtime, whatever, breakfast, evening, whatever, and just read a passage and meditate on it a little bit and think about, okay, God, what does this mean? What does this mean? What did the author have in mind when he wrote this? What's he trying to say? Who's he saying it to? What does that mean to me? You know, do you take a little bit of time to do that? That's a way to bind yourself, to wait upon the Lord with expectancy, knowing that he can empower you through his word. Another way to bind yourself to the Lord is to go to, your, go to the study, just as Robert exhorted in the, in the announcement. You know what? If, 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 you're, if you've been in a study, continue to be there. Go back. Go to the study. I mean, that, 
I can't think of a more powerful way to engage yourself in the Lord and be bound with him in the midst of this exile that we're walking through. I mean, what I experienced when I was in my early 20s is a perfect example. That, that group of Christians, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and t- preaching his word in our little Bible study that met at a home, turned my life around. I wouldn't be here. I'd be someplace very different than here if it weren't for that. Right? So if you're not part of a study, find one. And if you are, show up in it. And, and by the way, you know what? If a church or study or group of people seem to not be like, oh, they're not, but they're not quite there. They're, they're not bringing the word. Or it's not hitting me well. You know what? It seems deficient in some way. Well, guess what? Your job is to fix that. Your job is to show up in that and challenge that and encourage that and, and, and engage with that group of people and say, hey, we can do better than this. You know, we can, we can love each other better in whatever shape or form that takes. I mean, I'm just speaking top line here, right? You know, I'm going to come to Nick's Bible and say, hey, John, we're not, we're not cutting it, man. We, we need to love each other better. Mike's, Mike's with the children, I think. But anyway, um, but I encourage you, you know, getting with your small group. I, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I don't think I could really bind myself to the Lord in the way that that I need to, if I, if I, without, apart from the Saturday morning men's group and the other studies that we do. It's just essential to my faith. It really is. So I just really encourage you. As well as, you know, as, as Isaiah has already exhorted for us to declare the Lord, to be heralds of the good news, to talk about, hey, yeah, it sucks to be in exile. I get it. But God has provided a way through. God will be with, it, with us in the midst, and God will bring us to a new world that is completely free of all the, the separation and breakdown of exile. Right? So those are some, real, some more practical ways that, to wait upon the Lord, to bind ourselves to the Lord, that we might soar like eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. So final last question, Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? Indeed. If, if God is for us, who can be against us? And my iPad has suddenly decided to freeze up right at the critical moment. <laughs> right when I need to get there. Okay, I'll, I'll do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we are in exile, and exile just really sucks sometimes. It is difficult, it is hard, it is challenging. Father, but you use all of this to challenge us, to encourage us, and to bring us into your comfort, God, to, to draw us into a place where we bind ourselves to you, that we might know the comfort of your salvation, the comfort of your pardon, Lord, that we would have a future where there is no war, God, there is no discord, there is no breakdown. Father, even the stress of breakdown within our families, the hurts, the disagreements, the fights, Father, you have promised a future where all of that is gone, Lord Jesus. And Father, there is nothing in this exile, nothing in the past and nothing in the future that will ever, ever separate us from the love of God, Lord Help us, Lord, in the midst, God, in the difficult times, in the challenges, to understand your great power, your great love, that you are so much bigger than whatever it is we face, whether it's our health, God, our money, our jobs, our purpose, our relationships, Father. All of it is small compared to the great power of your love. Thank you, Jesus, for the salvation that you have given us. Thank you that you loved us to the point of coming into this world and giving yourself for us. In your son's name, amen.